Welcome to the Professional Drinkers podcast, brought to you by choosesunrise.co.uk. I'm Janet Hadley, and this is for you if you're an HR professional, a business owner, or a leader who'd like to explore the drinking culture in your workplace. I'll bring you lived experience stories, expert views, and tips for creating a drink-safe workspace without killing the buzz. Hello, and thank you for joining me for this very first ever episode of Professional Drinkers. In this podcast, what I'm aiming to do is to explore all different aspects of the workplace drinking culture. Something that I think is really interesting and a topic that is rarely discussed. Since quitting alcohol um, two and a half or so years ago now, I've really noticed how normalised the drinking culture is in general society here in the UK where I live. And certainly it's something that other people who I've connected with all over the world who've stopped drinking also talk about. And the workplace is obviously just a reflection of the wider society in which it operates. Um, And, you know, I don't want to come across as being critical of employers who have a boozy culture. I've worked in offices where the booze culture is huge and I've been a massive part of it. You know, I've definitely been one of the ringleaders. Um, And so it would be very, very hypocritical of me uh, to preach and to say this is terrible and we shouldn't be doing it anymore. What I would invite you to do, though, is to reflect on the alcohol culture in your workplace and to ask the question, is this the, uh, the the leadership that we want to show to our people? Are, are we making sure that we have the well-being of our people at the heart of everything that we do? And how does it um, clash with or how does it complement the other well-being um, policies and, and programmes that you've put so much time and effort into creating for your people? Um, I... I I will, in this podcast, often call alcohol the elephant in the well-being room. Um, It's something that underpins so many different aspects of well-being. In fact, you name an aspect of well-being that isn't affected by alcohol. You know, whether you're talking relationships, whether you're talking finances, um, if you're talking physical health, if you're talking mental health, spirituality... alcohol affects all of those things and um there's there's in my view there's not a lot of benefits to drinking um in fact i would argue there are zero um and i know that is a point that will probably be hotly debated um but certainly the um the message that it's okay to ask for help with alcohol use is something that I'm really, really passionate about bringing into the workplace. At the end of the day, we are expecting our people um, across the country to cope with having um, an addictive substance marketed to them day in, day out, and to manage to moderate and just take a little bit of it. It's not somehow okay in our society to become addicted to this addictive substance and it's taboo to put your hand up and say I think I'm starting to have a bit of trouble with this Um, and that essentially is what I'm aiming to change through this podcast and through the work that I do at Choose Sunrise. So without further ado 
Um, I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes about something very topical. So as I sit here on this very misty, rainy, cold morning in Leeds, um, we're right at the start of the World Cup um, 2022, which is being played in Qatar. Um, And this is a really interesting topic. So in the last couple of days, as well as all the political um, controversy that this World Cup has caused, um, which I'm not going to talk too much about, but yeah, there's no way we should be playing it in Qatar. There is, for so many reasons and on so many levels, it is wrong. And I'm saying this as a, a huge advocate of football, but yeah, the FA have really messed this one up. Um, they have recently announced that they are completely prohibiting alcohol sales, even within the uh, stadium grounds, which I think has been a very interesting move. And I'm fascinated to see what the end result of this is um, with the fans um, and what impact it has um, on people's perception of how they've enjoyed the World Cup. So that is a really, really interesting topic. Um, There's a lot of people, I think, who will struggle potentially to get through their 90 minutes of football without a drink and on that topic the first England game is today at 1pm is it 1pm something like that anyway it's certainly in working hours for most people and I'm just wondering how many people will be drinking during working hours today and what policies you might have in place or that you might need to think about um, in your workplace to risk assess and understand what the potential impact of that could be. Um, Clearly, if you're in an industry where people are driving or operating machinery, I'm kind of assuming that you've already got some pretty strong alcohol policies in place. But I work with employers who regularly tell me that they do not have any alcohol policy and therefore they are leaving themselves um, wide open, really, to people drinking during working hours and really with very little um on their side when it comes to um disciplining or taking any kind of action to prevent that happening um and the resulting you know consequences could be potentially a little bit thorny shall we say so that's certainly one thing to have a think about the other piece that i just wanted to touch upon is the link between alcohol football and domestic violence. So you may already be aware of this, but there is a sharp increase in the number of complaints about domestic abuse uh, during every big tournament. Um, And last year, not last year, sorry, four years ago, during the World Cup, um, there was a staggering 38% increase in domestic violence uh, when England um, lost a World Cup game and a 26% increase when they win. Now, that's something to be aware of if you're looking after the well-being of your colleagues, um, if that's your responsibility. Um, And I would really strongly advise you to have a little bit of a deeper look into this. There are some brilliant, brilliant resources out there. I'm going to put a link to Alcohol Change and their leaflet about the link between alcohol and domestic abuse into the show notes. Um, And there's a whole load of signposting in there um, to further charities who specialise in helping people who are suffering from domestic abuse, such as Women's Aid, Refuge, the Men's Advice Line and Gallup. 
um, and ADFAM, of course, who support families of people who are suffering with alcohol use disorder. So it's really worth being aware of what the warning signs are. Um, if you've got anyone in your workforce who has perhaps described their relationship as having trust issues or said their partner is quite jealous, um, those can be some of the, the, the I mean, it's not I'm not saying that that means that they're suffering in silence, but those are some of the common themes that women in particular report saying about their partners as a precursor to domestic abuse. So it is absolutely worth being vigilant about that, particularly as we come up to the World Cup. So without further ado, I am going to introduce my guest for this month. Um, I am really privileged to introduce Michelle Smith, who does amazing work in the space of bereavement. Um, Michelle's company, Empower Workplace Solutions, specialises in offering um, workplace support for people who are suffering from any kind of loss. So it's not just bereavement. It could be the loss of a relationship. It, it could be a loss in the wider sense. Um, it's something that I've experienced in my life. Um, my husband, uh, four years ago, was diagnosed with a brain tumour and he is still with us. You know, he's alive and kicking. He's he's actually doing incredibly well and his tumour has been stable for a long time. Um, the loss that I felt on upon his diag diagnosis was unbearable, an unbearable grief. Um, and I think it's really important for the work that Michelle's doing to help employers understand how they best support people who are in that position. Um, as I get into my mid to late 40s, I realise how much loss there is in life. I think when you're younger, it's something that perhaps if you're lucky, you may not experience too much of. And I've been lucky and I haven't. Um, but it's starting to happen to, my, to me and to people around me and to people in my teams at work. And it's something that I think we all need to be equipped to understand how to help people through. So let me, um, I, I, we have a great discussion, Michelle and I, about not just about loss, but about the, the link between loss and alcohol. Um, so I hope you enjoy that. Here she is. Hello, my guest this week is Michelle Smith, who is the director of Empire Workplace Solutions. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, no problem. So Michelle, can you just start us off by telling us a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah, sure. So I'm a palliative care nurse by background. I've been doing that for sort of 20, 25 years now. Um, and about a year ago, I took a brave, maybe a bit, <laughs> a bit of a dangerous step, but I did it anyway, um, and set up a business which now focuses on training organisations to better support staff who are experiencing loss, grief and bereavement. Uh, so loss in its widest sense, so not just a, a death, loss of health, loss of relationships. So that kind of the, the wider, wider reaching losses that we experience. Um, I also deliver a 10 week programme and more recently have set up a network of bereavement support groups. So exciting times. Yeah, that sounds really interesting and very rewarding. What brought you to um, this business then? What what? what's your background so all of the time in palliative care patients when they're well enough to work 
and families all the way through the journey have always said they didn't feel supported in the workplace and so it's been rumbling around in the background but when you are employed and if in your in a safe structure like third sector NHS nursing is a safe place to be from an employment perspective so I was never really brave enough to to go for it but when we got to the pandemic I was director of nursing in a hospice and we were having to facilitate the the video goodbyes we were having to take families around the back of the building to say goodbye through a window and it just made me think that if we weren't getting it right before the pandemic and there's enough evidence to show that we weren't it'll be even more difficult to get it right now because of the complexities that, that COVID has presented us with. So I kind of just bit the bullet and and went for it. And I have to say, you know, feedback has been really positive and, and there's a, a definite need for this support. Yeah, I can really understand that. Um, you know, as you know, I'm from a corporate background and every single team that I've ever looked after, there's I mean, there's always so much going on with your team as a manager, so much that you find out about the people who are in your team that they don't necessarily show to the rest of the world. And loss in its broadest sense is a great um, area to, to talk about, actually, because people are experiencing losses of different kinds almost all the time actually there's always something going on in the team um and as a line manager i've i can't remember ever being um taught how to how to kind of have those conversations i think it's something i just worked out as i went along is that something that you think is quite common in the workplace it's it's really common and that's what people are reporting is and actually only I think it's less than a third of our workforce in the UK have any confidence that their manager would be able to deal with any sensitive conversation. So, you know, that, that importance of understanding empathy over sympathy, so you remove any hierarchy and removing any prejudice or judgment that you might have about what that person's going through. It's all so important. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Um, so... In your experience then, when dealing with loss, how do you see alcohol fitting into that equation? I think there are there are three quite clear ways. So for a person who is struggling with, with alcohol, they might be experiencing the loss of relationship. There's a clear impact on a loss of health. And for some people that can be quite devastating if... It, if the disease has really impacted somebody, you know, you look at circulation problems, memory problems. So a loss of health can be quite significant. For some people who aren't maybe supported well in the workplace, it might come with a loss of job that then could impact a loss of home. So the, the impact in terms of loss for somebody uh, is, is quite significant. Second way is, you know, in the workplace. So managers and HR um, professionals, they need to understand how to uh, approach things without that judgment, without that kind of stereotype that, that we might have. And, you know, I, I was speaking to somebody not long ago. Now, they had a, a young man in their workforce who was stumbling around. His speech was slurring more. Now, they didn't address this with him, but they spoke about it behind his back. And actually, they'd presumed that it was an alcohol issue, but actually he had motor neurone disease and hadn't yet disclosed it. He was waiting for that diagnosis, so he's going through the, wow. the diagnosis phase. 
but I mean, there's two negatives to that. One is that this guy was judged because yeah. of how he was physically presenting. But what it also does for me, I don't know how you feel, but it shows a real prejudice against alcohol in the workplace. And still, you know, it also sort of shows that people were unwilling to address that openly. They didn't know where to begin. So whether it was the alcohol, whether it was MND for this man, shouldn't have mattered what mattered is there needed to be an open, non-judgmental approach to supporting this man and finding out a bit of what was going on for him? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, if we go back maybe 30, 40 years, it, it used to be the case that if you ha had um, anxiety or depression, things might be quite similar to how you've just described it. It might be talked about behind your back that you weren't coping. They used to use terms like, they're not coping or they've they're bad with their nerves things like that um but it wouldn't ever be dealt with sensitively and compassionately and confidentially whereas that's changed completely with men a lot of mental health issues but there's still a few that have been kind of left behind in the in the old era and alcohol issues are the absolute elephant in the well-being room as far as i'm concerned <laughs> um real taboo topics i think you know conversations that you and i have had before they always show that the, the one like the one commonality that really leaps out for both of us is the taboo with with which our areas of expertise are, are met yeah absolutely and as you know i'm all about ending the stigma and you're all about ending the stigma so you know it's really great to, to be able to chat with you um i wondered michelle if you had um any stories um obviously don't share anything confidential but m my personal experience with alcohol is very tied up with grief so my alcohol issue or uh my alcohol use issue developed after the diagnosis that my husband received so he um was diagnosed with a brain tumor back in 2018 and Oh, honestly, my relationship with alcohol changed almost overnight, I would say. Um, I went from being a really happy social drinker. Um, I was well known for being a happy drunk, actually, um, which I'm not sure if that's something to be proud of or not. But I was I was one of those very giddy, excitable drunk people. And um, I, instead of that version of me, I became really quite um, I just was drinking to forget and I actually didn't want to drink with other people. I wanted to drink on my own so that I could drink more and that I could really, to be honest, I was almost deliberately making myself black out because I just didn't want to think anymore. I was so, so devastated and gr the grief was so raw Um mm. You know, it really was quite a dark time for me. Um, and I just wondered, is that something that you come across on a regular basis? It's quite common for people to turn to alcohol um, and very often for two reasons. So one is, like you said, it's a kind of like it blocks that pain. It stops you clearly understanding what's happening around you. It kind of like blurs that for you. But also when people become more insular in their drinking, the same has happened to you very often. It can be because they want to also feel the pain. And by isolating yourself, you know that the alcohol isn't doing you any good from a physical perspective. And it kind of reinforces the pain that 
people often need to feel with their grief. They don't yeah. want to feel it. They don't want to experience it. So it's kind of like it's it's used in two ways. So one, it kind of inflicts a pain that people sort of need to feel to kind of yeah. validate that this is a really rubbish place for me. And it's, you know, it, it's a way that people will just say, "I'm not. I'm not coping." Yeah. It's a, it's a different way of of coping for people, and to try and sort of block that pain, it it isn't unusual. We see it quite quite often and that's kind of like for me one of the clear links between the work that that you and I do you know people will often sort of think you know if, if you had a conversation around alcohol and a conversation around loss and grief how and how on earth can those two come together yeah there are really clear clear themes and yeah. you know, people struggle they, they do yeah. I think, um you know I look at my my own brother um he's given me permission to to sort of share share his story and you know he has experienced huge losses um, because of his um, use of alcohol. Um, he's yeah. lost his home. He's lost his job. He's lost lots of his social circle. Self-esteem has been impacted hugely. Um, he's he's in a good place right now, but it's taken him oh, nearly 20 years to get there. He has really yeah. struggled. Um, and, you know, when you look at that, the wider sort of, again the wider impact so you've got other people who are impacted by watching their loved ones struggle with with alcohol yeah. so again that's something that we need to get right in the workplace because if you are in a place where you're trying to concentrate at work but you know that somebody might be struggling at home they might be drinking and there's nothing you can do about it you know it's a risk but how yeah. focused are you then on your work and, yeah. and again, it's just about opening up that conversation. So not just people who are turning to alcohol are able to access support, but what about the support for those who love that person as well? Equally important. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, there are a number of brilliant charities. Um, I think Alcohol Change UK is a great place to start um, if if you are looking for that kind of help. Um but in the workplace, there is a real need, actually, for managers to be able to spot the signs and make really, I was going to say make interventions, but to be able to have those skills of getting someone to open up to them. It's really about the listening skills, isn't it? And like you say, the empathy versus sympathy um, yeah. equation and not, you know, not, not having a tirade about how oh yeah that's happened to me and this is what I did you know not giving advice it's um quite different really um there's all sorts of different skills that are involved but actually there is a such a, a need in the workplace for managers to be able to do this and it's a real mixed bag out there I think it's a bit of potluck isn't it about who you end up with <laughs> it definitely from my experience is for sure and i think you know like you said communication and the skills that you use are so important and i think people often overlook the importance of silence and they want to try and fill that but if you have anything of a sensitive nature that you want well you might not want to discuss it with your manager but if it's impacting your work and your personal life you might need to discuss it with your line manager it's going to cause a lot of anxiety for that person. They're going to be under a lot of stress. They'll be worried about um, perceived judgment. So it's really important that we give them space because they might need pauses. They might need to get their words right and think things through. And and for some people, it might be the first time they've even verbalised a lot of what's going on for them outwardly. Yeah. So 
they might need, you know, five minutes just to, to cry or just to sit there and think, my days, you know, this is this is really happening. Now now these words have come out, this makes it very real and it's not something that, that I'm just holding inside now. So the use of silence around being, for me, one of the most key listening skills, yeah. I can never sort of speak about it enough. I think it's so yeah. important. Yeah, no, I, I really do agree with that. And so if you were um, to give some advice to employers about how they can help to reduce the stigma and make it OK for people to say, I've, I'm struggling, what what kind of activities would you have in mind that an employer could put in place? I think there needs to be a much broader and forward thinking approach to workplace well-being, for sure. Yeah. Um, not everyone's going to be comfortable going to their line manager but by having you know on online isn't going to be a, a go-to for everyone but if you're going to have a, a blended approach to, to well-being where you're going to have yeah helplines are great charities are great I don't dismiss that at all but also just having an approach where I don't know for example it, there could be one day where there's somebody who can talk to somebody about their use of alcohol in a really confidential space. It might be that the organisation block out six six sessions for their staff. Yeah. They can book them anonymously through either occupational health or HR. They go to that session. They've got somebody to talk to, somebody who can understand what's going on. If you invest in that for just one day a month, I do something similar with, with loss and grief. Uh, that's one of the offers I have. But I just think it's something so important. It gives people a safe place to talk to. And we really need organisations to be much more forward thinking in their yeah. approach to to how they're going to open up these conversations. And by having that kind of protected space, that person is going to be able to get the employee to a place where they're more confident to speak to the line manager. The flip side of that is the managers could also access this space to be able yes. to troubleshoot a problem. It's like, okay, I really, I just don't know how to handle this conversation. Or, do you know what? My parents were um, both um, alcoholics when I was growing up. I do not know if I can deal with this. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah. there's so many different aspects that people could could come from, um, and just by having this, you know, just invest one day a month to to really tackle this then it starts to become known about then it starts to become talked about then people are going to feel that okay this is a safe place i can talk talk about this yeah. um, it, it just takes commitment and you know you you won't change it overnight but put a structure in place to allow allow you to to grow as an open organization mm, no i think that's a really really good suggestion and have you got any um stories or experiences of where you've seen employers doing a brilliant job either of bereavement support or alcohol support or just a great well-being program i have i have been recently working with um the team at hayfield um hayfield housing and they are amazing they've put this really forward-thinking well-being program together and and actually they're nominated for for an award for it and i think i think that's on the 10th of november the the ceremony so i'm crossing everything i have for them but um sarah hope who who heads up the the well-being and the hr teams she's phenomenal and her openness in her approach it's kind of you know it's so much more than 
diabetes awareness and heart checks it it really digs deep and I think um, I saw today that they've done something on um, practicing gratitude how many organizations are going to have that that much of a a wider approach I think um, if, if anyone sort of follows her lead then they won't go far wrong Oh, that's wonderful. I love the fact that they're practicing gratitude in the workplace. Um, I've been practicing gratitude for a long time. Um, The person who introduced me to practicing gratitude was a visiting yoga teacher who did um, like a holiday cover for my regular yoga teacher. And um, he said at the end, you know, you do the, have you ever been to yoga? Um, yeah. And at the end, you're sort of lying on the floor and you're trying to relax. And really what you're doing is you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner or something. And he said, if you're thinking about what you're going to have for dinner, because you can't meditate right now, just think about something that you're grateful for. And I was like, oh, okay. And it was completely life changing. Mm-hmm. I then started every time I did yoga, I because I could never do that bit at the end, probably because I was I don't know. Moving on to the next thing. Yeah, just, <laughs> just had triplets and was busy. But anyway, um, it's I started to really kind of meditate on things that I was grateful for, and it made me so much happier. Mm. It genuinely made me so much happier. And I always advise my clients to practice gratitude in whatever way works for them. So yeah, I absolutely love the fact that um, Sarah is bringing that into the workplace. Phenomenal. She's got a brilliant approach to it. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's really inspiring. Um, Just in terms of um, alcohol and the alcohol culture in the workplace, then um, I know it's not something that's necessarily related to the work that you do now. But I'd be really interested in what it's like in nursing. Um, and do you, do you feel that would you be a bit of a social pariah if you didn't drink in nursing or is it a bit more accepting? I think in the healthcare sector, uh, there's these kind of like blue light parties and, um, you know, 999 discos and all sorts of things. But um, it, it's a big so part of, of social life in, in healthcare generally. So nursing, doctors, physio, like the whole kind of um healthcare sector um you do yeah I remember a number of occasions I I don't drink very often um and on a number of occasions when you order that diet coke and is that all you're having um then you feel a real pressure don't you yeah Um, you do Mm. so it is yeah it's, it's tough and I think you know reflecting back now you've asked that question I don't remember anyone ever feeling like a feeling that we had an open conversation around alcohol I can't I can't remember that at all ever yeah Um, and I think this is it um heavy drinking and even binge drinking is so normalized in this country that even the people who were tasked with looking after our health are not sort of noticing the elephant in the room or if they are then just thinking well got to relax somehow you know it's that kind of attitude isn't it and my personal view is that if we look at what happened to cigarette smoking um in the sort of 60s and 70s I believe that there's a change coming with alcohol because the link between alcohol and chronic disease is so strong and the rise in cases of liver disease is so rapid at the moment Mm. that at some point 
we're going to have to take a look at this and say, is it still okay for employers to provide free bars? Is it still okay for managers to tell their team leaders that they expect them to be at the works do and they expect them to buy drinks for their teams? Is it still going to be okay that we expect salespeople to go and party with clients if they've got a client who likes to, to stay out late drinking? You know, I know women who absolutely hate some of the clients that they have to work with because they have to go out with them all the time and they just don't yeah. want to. Yeah. They don't want to drink that much and they feel like they just have to. I, I'm not sure that all of these things are going to be okay in the future. Um, what, what do you think? I think it's really interesting that you've raised that because I think about now, like with some of the more senior roles I've held, when it comes to Christmas, you're like nearly traditionally given a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne or something from, from your line manager. Um, I know that might not be the case for everyone, but certainly in the roles that I've had, that's kind of been a, a given at Christmas or, oh, yeah. or New Year. Never ever a check on whether... I might be offended by that or I might struggle having a bottle of alcohol put in front of me in the middle of the working day. Um, so, yeah, it would be great to see more awareness. And it's something I hadn't thought about before you said about that. And actually, it could make such a, a, a difference, couldn't it? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, I, I, I do think that the change is coming. Um, I think there's a lot more awareness in younger people about the hazards of drinking. Plus, they're actually just really careful about not having their photos taken and put all over social media when they're drunk. I am so glad Facebook did not exist when I was in my 20s. I cannot, I probably wouldn't have had a career, to be fair. Uh, <laughs> just, it is, yeah, it's quite an important factor in um, younger people not drinking. It, it genuinely is. Um, so, yeah, God, goodness me. I'd quite like to see the photos, but I wouldn't like them to be public. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do believe that um, change is coming. And actually, from what I can understand from people I've been networking with, I think a lot of employers are a little bit behind the curve on this and they're perhaps not quite seeing that some of the younger people in their organisations don't think that a free bar is a treat. They just think it's yeah. a bit of a... Uh, it's like sacrificing an evening <laughs> to, yeah. to hang out with drunk people. Um, yeah, not fun. <laughs> dancing and all that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I sound like a bit of a killjoy now, but I do think that there are all sorts of interesting things that you can do as team building activities. Yeah. That Yes, you might go to the pub at the end of it, but please, employers, do something else first, like, even if it's like a game of crazy golf or whatever, just have something that isn't yeah. just going to the pub as part of your uh, socialising. Yeah. Um, so my final couple of questions for you. Um, mm. What do you think would help your clients the most? Um, so if there's HR, wellbeing professionals, managers, leaders who are listening and they've got um, people who they know about in their teams who are going through loss, What's the advice you'd give them that, that would help your clients the most? Do something about it. <laughs> it is yeah. that simple. I think, you know, we're getting the number of times I get kind of like shut down in my conversations with organisations and I'm just told that the employee assistance programme deals with that. 
Well, yes, it does to a degree. And I don't dismiss the importance of a good employee assistance programme. They definitely have their place and they provide an excellent service from excellent skilled practitioners. But why shouldn't we have that human response? Why aren't we looking at in-house peer support groups so that you've got that kind of sustainable momentum that, that you know, that, that people can access? There are different things we can do. And, and because it's not on the usual well-being strategy, you know, loss, grief, bereavement, alcohol support, it's, it's not there. And these more taboo topics, they definitely need to be there. For, for me, our subjects kind of feel like... You know, like menopause was kind of like 18 months, two years yeah. ago. It wasn't spoken about. And now people have got it and they are bringing in menopause coaches to talk. They've got menopause champions in the workplace. People are talking about it more openly on social media in terms of how it's impacted them. That's where I would really like to see our space in the coming yeah. sort of 12 months. It needs to be given as much attention. And, and I really don't think that people... Um, that the organisation, sorry, understands the impact that putting the support in place could have on staff satisfaction and retention. If you support your staff well, if you um, if you can have those conversations, if you can guide them through these difficult times, they're very likely to remain very loyal to you. And even if they leave because of their own career progression, they're still going to talk so positively about you that in itself recruits other people to to you as an organization and and the same for the line managers you know invest in them let them have the training for these conversations because again they're more likely to get a sense of satisfaction their stress levels will go down and they're likely to be more loyal because they'll feel that they're not anxious about the next knock on the door that that someone's coming to share news about their diagnosis or someone they love about we really need to actually just be brave and, and tackle it and look at the difference it might make mm, yeah brilliant that's really really good advice they say uh, people don't leave jobs they leave managers so yeah, yeah. <laughs> i guess the same goes in reverse people don't stay in a job they stay with a manager exactly <laughs> so just um could you just um, finish by telling our listeners um, a little bit more about where they can find out about your work? Yeah, of course. So um, I've got a website, which is www.lossgriefandbereavementsupport.co.uk. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. So uh, with Empower Workplace Solutions. Um, so easily find me there or email me michelle at empower workplace solutions um and th those would be the best best ways to contact me brilliant and i'll make sure i put all of that into the show notes if anyone wants to get in touch with michelle and then i have a final question which is something that i ask every single one of my guests so i have prepped michelle for this do not worry um please tell us what your favorite ever book is and why my favorite ever book is aa milne's when we were young Oh, I um, love it so yes. much. So my nan is or was my most favourite human ever. Uh, oh. In my world, no one's ever going to replace her. She was she was magical. Um, and she read this to me when I was when I was young um, yeah. every every night. And she would um, sort of sing some of the tunes. It was like Changing Guards. A little song came along with that. And I just remember it takes me to like a safe place, a happy place. Um, and then I remember when my nan was at the end of her life, she was in a care home, she had dementia 
um, and in that last week of her life when she was less responsive, I had the book and I read it back to her. Um, oh, and you can wonderful. Her, uh, it's, you know, really, it, it, this will never sort of leave me. You could see her, she was barely conscious, but every so often she would mouth one of the words that, oh. that I was sort of halfway down the stairs. Um, you could just see her pick up just the, the odd word here and there. So I, I know that she could hear me. Um, and that, that just feels like it'll always be a special connection between between the two of us. So that's that's my favourite book. Oh, Michelle, I feel so emotional listening to you talking about that. That's just so special. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. What no. wonderful, wonderful person she must have been. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Michelle. Um, so, yeah, if you do want to get in touch with Michelle and find out more about the work that she does, all of those contact details will be in the show notes. And thank you, Michelle. It's been wonderful to talk to you. You too. If I get a podcast up and running, then definitely come and join me. It'd be brilliant. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much to Michelle. What a great conversation we had. Um, and as I said, in the show notes you can find out how to contact Michelle so I'm wishing you all a very happy and successful month um, as we go through the World Cup who knows what will happen uh, with the England team and how long we'll be in it for stay safe look after each other and always be kind to everybody thank you for listening if you'd like to learn more about creating a drink safe workspace without killing the buzz visit choosesunrise.co.uk and head to the HR services page. Let's end the stigma because nobody should feel afraid to ask for help with alcohol use.